Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Word Books with Friends. This week we're discussing Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Chapter 11, Quidditch. I'm Paul, your host, and I'm joined as always by the wonderful, the talented, the magical. <laughs> I'm Chris, and none of those are words I would use to describe myself, so thank you. You're welcome. How would you describe Quidditch? A silly game that, much like everything else in the wizarding world, so much of it's just made up. But you know what? We we learned the rules last chapter, thanks to Oliver Wood. We're actually going to find out how it's really played right now. Yeah, because the rules are one thing. The actual game that's played on the pitch is another. There's over 700 fouls that can happen in a game of Quidditch. It's just ridiculous. And, you know, good on Harry for... Still just continuing to try to familiarize himself with it, with a copy of Quidditch to the ages that he's reading. Just out in the lawn? Wait, did did you say he's reading it out in the lawn? Yeah, out in the courtyard. Ooh, ooh, you Paul, Paul. What? You're not allowed to take books outside of the school. What? I mean, that's coming from Professor Snape himself. You can't take school books outside of school. Oh, uh, Five points from Gryffindor. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Five points. Five whole points. You, know- <laughs> you mean I would have to battle a, a cave troll or a mountain troll. Sorry, a mountain troll. Cave trolls are from Lord of the Rings. In order to earn back that same amount of points? Yeah. Technically, you'd have to fight two trolls because you would have to get back the points and then five more to, to re-earn them because you'd be at, like, nil points. Right. You know what? Snape knows this whole system's broken, and he's just playing it. He's just like, any chance I got to uh, take away points from Gryffindor, I'm going to take it. Do you think he was a little bit salty because he he was injured by Fluffy? And that's something that we see Ron and Harry notice, because he's, he's howling a little bit. Harry really figures it out, because he wants to get that book back from Snape, and he ends up going to his office... During like his during lunch hours to try to get it back, and he notices that Nape and Filch are there bandaging up his leg, and he hears overhears Snape saying to Filch, uh, "You know how are you supposed to keep an eye on it? It has three heads." So it's a little bit more obvious in the book than just Harry piecing things together. So my next question in response to that: Why would? Snape go to Filch about this, you know, being mauled by Fluffy, instead of just going to Madame Pomfrey, who we know is the school nurse, nurse, witch, witch nurse, nurch, uh, nurture. Oh my gosh. There you go. Hybrid word that works. Or do you think it was just like, it just happened. So like Filch was there, like saw it. Because this is a couple days after that, and I guess it's the wound keeps opening back up because it's on the leg, that calf muscle's constantly moving, so that tear is going to keep on opening up. I think they're doing it. You know, Filch is just the lower antagonist. Snape's a real big bad guy. So this is building the, the conspiracy that everyone's out to get Harry. Okay. Like, how is Snape going to explain it to uh, Madame Pomfrey as well? I know she's great with boils. We in and burns and broken wrists because we've seen Neville get over those two things already. Broken wrist, boom. Madame Pomfrey got you t- taken care of. 
So we could assume maybe that, oh, they're trying to keep it a secret from Madame Pomfrey because then she would want to know how Snape got hurt. Well, he got hurt by the giant dog. Well, why is there a giant dog here? So do you think that means Filch is kind of in on things? Like, so at this, we have to know if Filch knows about Fluffy at that point, being kind of like the school's caretaker, that would make sense. Do you think he knows what Fluffy's there for? Or do you think he was basically just told like, oh, hey, there's this big three-headed dog. It's guarding something. You need to know your, your clearance ends here kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's the clearance ends here. Filch obviously knows there's a dog on the third floor because he's told they've told the students to keep off the third floor. And he's in charge of keeping the students off the third floor. And the reason why is the big th- three-headed dog. Why is the three-headed dog there? You don't need to know. <laughs> you know, it's it's Hogwarts, where the rules are made up, <laughs> and the points don't matter. But then this also leads our golden trio with Ron, Harry, and Hermione to kind of leap to that conclusion that, oh, well, it must have been Snape trying to get past the dog on Halloween. That's how he got caught. He let the troll in. This was his diversion. And something we're going to see, you know for the next couple chapters at least too, is them kind of consistently blaming Snape for everything that kind of gets in their way or seems like a reason that something's going wrong because for them, like he's, he's the main antagonist. Like this is the guy that's clearly out to get them. He has to be up to something else. Snape isn't playing into his hand any other way than being the villain either though. Like, come on, you got a book out, you got a library book outside five points from Gryffindor. He's not helping his case of, hey, no, I'm a good guy. And even Hagrid has a hard time defending him. He does, but like at least Hagrid's like, well, no, like he's a Hogwarts professor. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. Like he has no reason to. Like he's, like, we're getting, we're getting a little bit ahead. Um, at this point, this is what basically leads us, leads the Golden Trio to believe that he's the main villain. Though, yeah. so I think we're right on time with uh, talking about this, but. You don't want to get too ahead here, right? No, yeah, that's and that's the thing. Like, this is meant to be just like that building discussion, taking everything that we know into account, because so much of everything that happens in this series builds off of what comes before it, especially in this book. You know, laying the groundwork for everything. We got important things to talk about, like Quidditch, <laughs> like like Quidditch, and we're in the lead up to it. There's a lot of build up here. You know, Harry's getting nervous. This is his first actual Quidditch game. Going into this, the Quidditch chapter of this book reminds me of the pod racing scene in Star Wars Episode One. It's so cool, and then you just remember it being cool. Mm-hmm. But then when you have to go back to it, you're like, oh my god, there's so much pod racing. <laughs> there's, just, there's so much Quidditch in this chapter. And yes, granted, Chapter 11, Quidditch. So much of this chapter is just based off of the game itself. And then Gryffindor, Lee Jordan, who's commentating on the game as it's happening. And Lee Jordan is just speaking his mind and he is not partial at all, which I kind of love. But also, do you think there's like a Quidditch commentary club that he's head of that he's the person that gets to comment on all the games, or do you think they pull one of the kids from one of the houses at random, or something like that? Or I don't, I don't know, because it seems like something that maybe you would want to have one of the professors doing, 
but again, like maybe he was just like, Oh, I love Quidditch. Let me, let me do this. You know, he's that like overexcited AV kid. That's like, Hey, Hey, do you need someone to comment on it? I can do it. Yeah. I know in our high school, we had, uh, our AV kids would do the basketball, would call the basketball games. Mm-hmm. So that was part of it. But we also, they also had a professor, a teacher there, uh, to oversee it as well. Well, I mean, technically McGonagall's there with him. Yeah. <laughs> so. And, uh, yeah, I have to say, Lee Jordan, what an announcer. And attractive, too. <laughs> He's, again, not partial at all. But so, it seems like you would want at least someone else there with him. Because a lot of Quidditch is a lot of stuff happening at once. Because not only do you have your chasers... Passing the quaffle back and forth. You've got your seekers who are chasing after the golden snitch. You've got your beaters who are hitting off the bludgers. You've got your keepers who are doing their own thing in front of the gold posts. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on. And it seems like a lot for one kid, one first year kid. Uh, Lee Jordan isn't first year. He's Lee Jordan. Year. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he's a first year. Is he? I thought he was the uh, same age as Fred and George. I think he's a little bit younger. I'm about to, I'm about to Google this quick. Yeah. Google foo on that while I uh, talk about a wacky theory that I had because I was trying to figure out what Quidditch actually meant. Quid, five, ditch, Quidditch. Okay, ditch doesn't make much sense, but maybe it's like uh, when two words become made into one, a portmanteau. Maybe you know the W from which turns into a D just to, to smooth it out. So it was at one point called Quid Witches, and then it became Quidditches. That isn't right at all. Because apparently it was just a name means like a uh, dirt road or dirt ditch. And apparently in England, there's a bunch of roads called Quidditch Road. I at least thought about it for a little bit, maybe a little too long. So, <laughs> good. Uh, you, I was out of vamping. <laughs> no, you, you, you vamped uh, the right amount because I had had my answer. Uh, but yeah, it turns out he was in the same year as Fred and George. So at that point, he was in his third year. At Hogwarts, which he seems kind of all over the place for someone that's, you know, that established. But then again, according to his Harry Potter Wikipedia entry, he also was best friends with Fred and George Weasley. So I could see him kind of fitting in with them based off of his commentary for this game alone. I always just, I always assumed he was younger, though. I don't know. He seems like someone that could be around the age. Maybe it's just that youthful exuberance that he has. I think you are right that it's a little much to just have one person doing it. You would think there would be a play-by-play and a color analyst. for that. Yeah. And he's trying to do both, and he's falling flatly on the side of Homer-style color analyst. You know, somebody that's just rooting for the home team, a.k.a. Gryffindor. I, I especially like it when he, uh, Marcus Flint throws an illegal block uh, of the way of Harry, you know, while he's trying to catch a, a snitch. And he's like, oh, you know, uh, ugly, horrible play. And, you know, then uh, McGonagall gives him a look and he's like, I'm a foul, a horrible, ugly foul. He should. uh, I mean, sure, Marcus Flint almost killed the Gryffindor seeker, but it could have happened to anybody. And, you know, uh, here comes a penalty shot for for the Gryffindor team. (laughs) The last thing I have to say about. His commentary before we kind of move on. Just Quidditch seems like such a fast-paced game because, you know, there's not just one ball you're watching. But, you know, there's technically four. 
it seems like by the time you finish saying whatever you're saying, two or three more things have happened that you're already trying to comment on. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's just nuts to try to to live cast that game. Yeah, and basketball and hockey, though, like the balls can the ball and puck are being passed back and forth so quick. But for that, you get like. So and so to so and so, so and so. Oh, lead, leans back. Oh, pass it, pass it, and oh, he holds it. He's holding it. All right. Oh, they're passing it back. Looks like you know they're going to switch out the keeper at this point. You have eight other people on on the pitch at this point that are all doing other things. Like oh, Weasley knocking away the beater, Angelina Johnson. Like there's so much stuff happening. It would be hard. I don't particularly Jordan from the excellent job he's doing. I'm just going to say, stand yeah, up. Good good job. You know, there's one more thing going on that's right for distraction. Uh, all of a sudden, Harry's trying to get shaken off of his broom. As Hagrid has come up from his hut to watch the game, he, he's mentioned that only really dark arts could bewitch a uh, broom, especially a Nimbus 2000. You know, because that's a top-of-the-line model right there. <laughs> that's, that's the best. I'm sure, like... When you go through Wizarding magazines and you see the the ad for the Nimbus 2000, there's probably like a little blurb that's like curse proof, curse proof, hex proof. If you want a smooth ride, guaranteed. Ride in the skies above the clouds on your Nimbus 2000. I'm so glad we got that uh, sponsorship deal with Nimbus <laughs> 2000 for this episode. So good, right? Ooh, ooh, ooh. All right, I'm just I'm just throwing this at you because. I think you had a great idea. From now on, each one of our episodes is going to be sponsored by something else in the wizarding world. It could be a broom. It could be a potion. Whoever introduces the episode, you're going to have to make up a a sponsorship. I'm pay- I'm, I'm writing this down so I don't forget. Well, then, uh, the Nimbus 2000 text and uh, is bucking around. Marcus Flint just takes the opportunity to rack up a... Uh... Five different uh, scores for 50 more points. You got the Weasleys doing their best to get Harry off the broom, but the broom keeps on going higher and higher every time they get close to it, so they start circling around. Oliver Wood just, I guess, wondering if he should take a timeout or not, and just hoping in the background. Do we know? Are there timeouts? There are timeouts. Okay, I I couldn't remember. We'll know that during the next book. Okay, I, I couldn't remember that. But while all this is going on on the pitch... From some sleuthing done over in the Gryffindor bleachers, Hermione notices that Snape seems to be up to something in the stands on the other side of the pitch. Just through a Hagrid's binoculars, she she sees that he's muttering something nonstop, not breaking eye contact, which is surely a sign of a jinx. So Hermione takes it upon herself to uh, put a stop to that. And I think this is where we finally get to see that Gryffindor side of Hermione, less so than the Ravenclaw, like, hey, I need to know everything. I need to do better. Uh, Because this is her running across the, well, not across, but probably around. Through the stance. Around the stance, through the stance, to put a stop to some surely dark magic being done by a Hogwarts professor to save her friend. Pretty brave. Uh, that's, uh, That's a true Gryffindor quality there, I'd say. I like what she does in the books better than what she does in the movies, which is just setting uh, Snape's robes on fire. Here, she body checks Quirrell in order to get to Snape first. 
not only does she cast flames upon his robes, but then she's able to like jar them back right back up, which is a spell she was she mastered earlier in the book when she uh, put a bit a little bit of fire inside of a jar to keep them warm while they were reading the book Quidditch through the ages. Wait, wait, wait! Jarring a fire? Yeah, that's <laughs> another five points from Gryffindor. I'm sorry, Paul. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> Taking points away from earning points for Gryffindor. I'm sorry, that's five points from Gryffindor. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot more physicality, and it's also cooler than just some sparks. Like yeah. it's a cooler spell overall. In the last chapter, we had Hermione knowing the spell that actually lets them unlock the door, Alhamora, that gets them into the room where Fluffy is protecting the trapdoor. Definitely the brightest witch of her age. Like she's unstoppable. It's probably not her fault. That she's insufferable for the first half of this book. I mean, she is a know-it-all, but dang, if Hermione just doesn't know it all. Like, she's that good. And I can understand from her side of it, when you know the answers and you just want to get on to the next thing. All right, yeah. I already know this. What's the next thing I can learn? And you got to sit around waiting for somebody to answer a darn question to get to the actual good stuff. Why are you asking who knows? I know. I'm trying to tell you. Let's go. Let's get... Screw this. Let's we only have 20 minutes left in this class. Come on. I've been here for two months, and we've mastered the quote-unquote basics, and we haven't cast a spell yet. <laughs> Let's go. You guys should have been reading these books during your lunch periods. Come on. But during all this, the curse is broken. As she's running back, Harry is able to finally get back on top of his broom. And then Harry lucks into winning the game. We get that old patented Potter luck coming back. Narrator is so zoomed out that all we get is Harry starts zooming down. He it's it's literally like, I think it's I got flip. It's like two sentences yeah. of oh yeah Harry's Harry's diving. Yeah, there it is. He ends up uh, on the ground. I quote. Wars. Harry was speeding toward the ground when the crowd saw him clap his hand to his mouth as though he was going to be sick. He hit the field on all fours, caught, and something gold fell into his hand. That's the climax of the entire game. Mm-hmm. It, it is given less commentary than Hermione casting the spark spell into the jar. Less than Harry dodging bludgers. Less, almost as much as... Uh, Lee Jordan talking about how attractive Angelina Johnson is. Like it's, it's such a blink and you miss it moment in the game that ends it. Mm-hmm. Well, one, it wasn't a great catch, and two, Angelina Johnson is that attractive? <laughs> <laughs> so much so that they don't talk about it in the book, and I didn't do any research, but I'm just going to assume she was probably voted MVP. She's one heck of a chaser. It's and it's strictly just because Lee Jordan's the only one that can vote for the MVP. So it's first start of the game, and I kind of have to agree with Slytherin right here, because what is a catch? Yeah, uh, catching it in your mouth, swallowing it is not a catch. If this was the NFL, uh, that would not be ruled a catch. It, I mean, it's not a catch, but he was still in possession of the he snitch. I guess trapped it. He trapped it's... it in his mouth. He did not catch it in his. I mean, without seeing the actual bylaws of Quidditch or having a copy of Quidditch through the ages in front of me, it it could just be like, you know, Seeker must be in possession of the snitch for this long for it to be considered caught kind of thing. Like, it might not say, like, necessarily, like, grabbed in their hand. It 
Now, when he coughs it up into his hand and has it in his hand, I guess at that point he would have caught it and that would True. ruin the game. So I wonder if there's a rule where you have to be on the broom and not on the ground when you catch it. Again, the rules are all made up. None of, none of it matters. I would have to go back to Hagrid Shack with Hagrid, and we would have to discuss it over some tea. And maybe he would let slip, you know, that there's a dog named Fluffy with three heads, uh, guarding something very important from Nicholas Flamel. That's what Hagrid ends up doing with the uh, Golden Trio. And then this is more of, I, I think, kind of the Hagrid that we get in the movies more, where it's like he's well-meaning, and he's just kind of happy to have someone to talk to, that he lets things slip, like, oh, Fluffy? And it's like, well, yeah, that's he's mine. Like, oh, no, don't, don't worry about it. Like, it's fine. And then the, the kids keep kind of prodding a little bit more. It's like, that's eh, just between the professor. It's actually happening in front of me. You forget the dog and you forget what it's guarding. That's between Professor Dumbledore and Nicholas Flamel. And then that's like, the who's, who's that? And then, you know, the chapter ends. It, it's all, it's all on Hagrid. He's well-meaning. He's just kind of doofy. I don't know if doofy is the right word for it. He's just not good with secrets. I, he's there's a little bit of excitement there. Like he's he's glad to have someone that he can kind of talk to and confide in. Because if we take what Malfoy's been saying, and we can probably assume that's kind of the urban legend behind Hagrid at the school. Like, oh, he's he's this guy. He's only here because Dumbledore, you know, pities him. Everyone probably has stories about who Hagrid is because we at this point we know. He had been kicked out of school. We know it was kind of under some untrue reasons. And, you know, Dumbledore was like, no, like, he's not a bad person. Like, nothing that happens his fall. Like, he wasn't responsible for the things that happened in the second book. But the rest of the students don't know that. So they can probably, he has a myth that's probably been built up over, what, like, how long ago was, like, the Chamber of Secrets originally opened? It was, like, 50 years or something. Yeah, I do. Not that story has probably been like built up in the mythos of Hogwarts at that point. He probably feels a little vilified. That's you know that could be why he latches on to Harry so much because he knows like, hey, this kid has a lot of preconceived notions that he's walking into. He's going to need someone to be there and help him with it. Hagrid's just a class act. I'll talk more about that with the uh, with the next chapter. But I like this chapter more talking about it. Than I did actually reading it, I think. Yeah. It's, it's goofy, but it's it's entertaining. Yeah, reading it and the actual Quidditch part wasn't as good as everything else that was happening around the Quidditch. I, yeah. I believe. It's the pot racing scene, man, I'm telling you. Well, join us time where we'll be uh, getting into our actual heart's desires. 